0: It's hard to talk about Trump because you know there are continuities uh, with previous administrations, uh, uh, with, with the Obama policies on, on uh, deportations and, and uh, the uh, um, you know the jailing of immigrants, um, and certainly continuities with earlier conservative presidents like you know the two Bushes and, and Reagan. Um, but there's also a way in which he's a turn for the worse. So people will focus on one side of this or the other that he's just the same as everything before, or that. He's completely unprecedented and, like, you know, um, we've never seen anything like it. You know, we've seen plenty of things like this. Um, and you, know, you hear people saying, like liberals here will say things like, uh, it's just un-American to separate children from their parents. And, of course, you know, slavery did that. Uh, Indian genocide did that. Um, we have two million people in jail who are um, – Many of whom are separated from their children. So you know, this is there are many aspects of American life going back centuries where we have been separating children from their parents uh, through law enforcement moves. Um, but there also there's a there's a it, it does seem like there's an increase in the brutality and severity of it. So I think there there there's this you know change in in tone and severity. And Obama was um, a very slick fellow. He's he speaks extremely well. He's very sophisticated, very knowledgeable. He knows what he's talking about. Trump is um, an inarticulate moron uh, and revels in his cruelty. And a lot of his supporters revel in cruelty. So there, there's this, also this change in, in the feelings around everything. It's just like a, a turn for something really hard-edged and nasty. So, yeah, there are continuities, and, yeah, things are worse. And um, you, know, you have to acknowledge both things at the same time. In some respects, the fixation, the
1: overwhelming, suffocating obsession with Trump, the man which has gripped the whole of the Western world, not just the United States, is understandable and you've outlined some of the reasons why. He is a volatile populist, he's a racist and egomaniac. There's no doubt he represents a clear and present danger to the people of the world. But as you've also touched on, that's true of every US president in the post-war era. Every US president presides over an empire, launches wars of aggression, supports coups and military dictatorships, governs for corporations at the expense of working people and so on, why then, in the final analysis, do you think there is this singular obsession with Donald Trump?
0: Well, he is an extremely unusual personality. You know, I moved to New York uh, in 1979, which is about the time when Trump was bursting onto the public scene. Here, he was just a local celebrity for uh, quite a while, but you know, he was his rise to fame and wealth and power was lubricated by political connections, uh, but also his use of bluster and lying. And he'd make agreements with uh, the city to gain uh, zoning variances to do some of his projects, then he'd violate them. Uh, One of his first projects uh, was uh, uh, knocking down the former Bonwet Teller department store, uh, which had some uh, sculptures on the wall that were supposed to be preserved. They were landmarked. He was supposed to give them to a, uh, uh, a museum Uh, He hired uh, some uh, Polish workers who were uh, not here legally uh, to uh, just knock everything down in the middle of the night uh, uh, with no gloves, no masks, no helmets. Uh, They were paid like a quarter of the going rate at the time, uh, doing very dangerous work in the middle of the night. And then he got away with it. So it's just like this long, long career of lies and deceptions and bluster uh, and rampant egomania. So he's a repulsive person and he's really, um, seems to have energized the worst elements in American society. So you have all these xenophobes and neo-Nazis and racists and misogynists and homophobes, just horrible people who feel now that they've got approval from the very top to be as rude and ugly as they want to be too. So it's just, they're, they're, they yeah, there are continuities in policy and you can find all kinds of precedents, uh, for Trump in, um, uh, even in the presidency, you know, Richard Nixon used to drunkenly threaten nuclear war. Um, so, like, with with his aides, so you know, there there is. Um there's a lot in American life that that uh, uh, Trump is just a con- continuation of but there's there's also something about this increasingly nasty turn, and then you put it in this global context of this move to the right in, in europe um uh, in particular uh, but also you know we 've seen Erdogan in Turkey uh, we've seen the election of uh, Doug Ford in ontario um kind of a trumpish figure in a lot of ways so th- there's also this sense in which Politics have taken a really nasty right turn worldwide. And uh, there's this increase in nationalism and xenophobia uh, uh, that's that's really scary. That's why I think, you know, it sets off a lot of alarm bells. But then on the other hand, you know, it's really too easy to personalize his character. He, he has ties to a really very well-organized, very uh, well-funded far right uh, in this country. There's a uh, this whole collection of plutocrats uh, led by um, two brothers, the Koch brothers, who uh, uh, have an oil fortune they inherited from their father and made it much, much larger. And they have these annual meetings where they gather together right-wing donors uh, to plot uh, the takeover of, of the country. And uh, they've been very, very successful. So there is this, you know, underneath the uh, uh, Trump's um, ignorant bluster is a really organized, very organized, very well-funded right-wing with a very serious long-term plan. And uh, not everybody is aware of that uh, as they are of uh, of Trump's uh, toxic personality. But, you know, there is, that's, that's the longer term thing to worry about. There's nothing on the liberal left that resembles the organisation of, of the far right.
1: The campaign managers and strategists of the Democratic Party machine, of course, suffered a catastrophic loss in 2016, one they have yet to even acknowledge, given the mania over supposed Russian government interference in the election, let alone hold themselves to account for. All indications are they will back another right-wing neoliberal Clinton-like candidate in 2020, and yet they are now facing an extraordinary revolt from within their own ranks, with members of the Democratic Socialists of America winning primaries in various parts of the country, the latest being the sensational surprise victory of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the 14th Congressional District in New York. Explain to us the causes and contours of this revolt and what its significance may be.
0: Yeah, well, as you said, the the Democratic Party leadership, uh, the the leaders in in, in Congress, the the head of the party, um, has uh, done everything it can not to learn the lessons of the 2016 election, which is running a tired old neoliberal with little popular appeal uh, is not the path to success. Uh, And it's probably gotten less attention abroad, but the Democratic Party's uh, support uh, and office holding at levels below the federal level, Uh, the state and local government has utterly collapsed uh, over the last uh, 10 years or so. So the party is extremely weakened at every level. And the state and local stuff matters because these are the people who control election laws and ballot access and all kinds of things like that. Uh, And uh, district – drawing of congressional districts. So the Republican control of state legislatures uh, has also uh, really um, deepened uh, the the party's hold on on, – at the federal level. But they have no um, real strategy for getting out of this. Uh, They uh, remain very uh, loyal uh, to their – their corporate and Wall Street funders uh, and you know, this is the, the fundamental contradiction of the Democratic Party is that it's essentially a party of capital That has to pretend otherwise for electoral reasons now and then so what this produces are these strange uh, Episodes that were seen as spinelessness or weakness or you know incomprehension But really they're just trying to do uh, uh, The work of their funders um, while appearing not to be doing the work of their funders and um, so that that's uh, that that's what's driving this um, inability to recognize that the strategy uh, that brought us Hillary Clinton is not going to succeed in two thousand and twenty. So uh, at the same time, the Sanders campaign uh, had uh, in two thousand and sixteen really unleashed a, a wave of um, especially younger democratic activists from pretty far to the left. I mean, the Democratic Socialists of America is, there are a lot of different kinds of people in there. There There's some sort of moderate social Democrats, but there are also some really serious, radical, younger people in it as well. And uh, it's just got so much energy. Um, And, you know, the numbers are not enormous, twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 members, but twenty or 30,000 organized people can make an enormous difference. And that's, What really uh, delivered this victory in the 14th Congressional District in New York, the uh, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez victory, uh, was uh, all these DSA activists knocking on doors um, and uh, getting out the vote. And I think the Democratic leadership – this makes the Democratic leadership very, very nervous. Uh, You had the uh, leader of the House Democrats, uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, talking about – uh, how this really didn't mean anything for the longer term. Chuck Schumer, uh, the leader of the Senate Democrats, uh, saying this is you know, not not a, a sign of structural trouble for the Democratic Party, but in fact it is. It's a, a real popular exhaustion with their strategy of, of uh, uh, nominating tepid Um, um, centrist candidates. And part of the problem, too, is they are extremely boring people. Uh, uh, So they make terrible candidates just in the personal sense, and then their politics stink. They have nothing to offer the massive voters, Uh, and uh, it's really no wonder that they keep losing Trump you know, as a salesman. um, He's very good at selling um, uh, stories of of greatness. And uh, he's certainly uh, alienated lots and lots of people, but he does uh, inspire a a very active and enthusiastic base. And you need that in politics. And the Democrats, until this DSA thrust came along, the Democrats had nothing like that. Sanders' campaign unleashed it. And uh, revealed that there's a pretty large constituency, uh, especially among younger people, for seriously social democratic policies something like you know public health insurance which we don't have here uh reduced uh f- um, foreign wars um you know, just a, a generally more progressive turn in the party and this scares the party leadership and they just don't know how to uh, how to deal with it so they're trying to treat this uh uh victory um in the 14th, as a um, as an anomaly, as the uh, an unusual district, unusual candidate. But this guy was the number four character uh, in the Democratic Party in the House of Representatives. He was quite likely to be the next speaker uh, should the Democrats take over the House in in, in, in the fall. Uh, so. Um, This is a major loss for the democratic establishment. And I think they're going to try to rationalize it away the way they tried. They've been trying to rationalize Hillary Clinton's loss ever since November 2016. It's just pointing elsewhere, you know, pointing at everything else but themselves.
1: Coming back to this question of a singular obsession by the media and indeed also by many ordinary people with Donald Trump. One of the products of that obsession is a kind of hysterical, apocalyptic view of the future. One of that especially infects a lot of young people. And yet there are signs of hope. You've mentioned the membership of the Democratic Society of America has climbed to 30,000. The Black Lives Matter movement is still active and vibrant. There is the popular response we're seeing right now to the detention of migrant children at the Mexican border. Is it all doom and gloom under President Trump? Or do you see the green shoots of these social movements growing into something more substantial and long-lasting?
0: Uh, well, certainly that's very encouraging. Uh, and the most encouraging thing in politics I can think of uh, in, in decades is uh, the, this, um, the this growing appeal of, of, of ser- seriously left politics uh, among younger people. It's just uh, moving and inspiring. Uh, the problem is that Trump can do a lot of damage. Uh, the Republicans hold all three branches of the federal government. They control two-thirds of the states. Uh, there is just a Supreme Court decision that is really going to um, – really seriously weaken if not uh, destroy public sector unions, which have very important uh, uh, funding base for democratic politics. So, um, you know, they can really do a lot of damage in the interim and uh, on the most important issue facing humanity, climate change. the Republican Party is doing, you know, Trump and the, the, the Republican government are, are doing um, a tremendous damage. Uh, that's one of the areas, you know, they, people make jokes about how incompetent <clears throat> they are and how they can't really get anything done because they're too busy fighting and, and posing and uh, acting like jerks. But in fact, uh, uh, they're, had done a lot in the environmental uh, field uh, to just uh, turn national monuments, uh, national parks into uh, uranium mines and things like that. It's just it's grotesque. And that's that's very frightening. And if you want to get apocalyptic and worry about the oceans rising and drowning us all, uh, the Republicans are actively um, um, uh, contributing to that. So, yes, it's really exciting to see the the development of social movements and uh, development of. really activist left politics, uh, but the other hand, you know, these people really can do a lot of damage. So it's it's hard uh, on a day-to-day basis to um, um, stay um, focused on the longer term and what possibilities it might hold. There's also this way in which daily life uh, in America has been really um, poisoned by the, the Trump feeling. It's just, it just infects people's day-to-day um, feelings, um, in ways that I don't recall seeing in politics before. Um, so yeah, there's that. I mean, people just feel nerves are raw, um, a lot of sense of conflict and, uh, and think, you know, I like, guess you say, that creeping sense of despair, that's, that's really hard to fight. So this is, it's just head spitting. Uh, and it's ever since November, 2016, it's just been like a really bad drug trip living through the, the Trump era.